are listening to the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and as usual, I'm joined by my lovely co-hosts, Gracie Elvin. Hey, hey. Oh, you introduced me first. I wasn't even ready. <laughs> I know. I was just like, who looks the least prepared to be introduced right now? <laughs> Gotta keep you on your yeah, feet. Yeah, it's good. I like it. <laughs> Lauren Rowney. Yeah, good morning. You had me on my toes as well. I was like, who's she? Who, who's lovely here? Who's lovely? This is a great game for me. <laughs> <laughs> You're all lovely. She did it because you could see I was looking at my phone. Yeah. <laughs> and Amy Jones. I suspected you of doing this before and then you've been like, no, no. I was like, oh, is it because I'm looking in the opposite direction? You're like, no, I didn't even see you. Busted. <laughs> to be fair, before I didn't, I didn't notice, but this time I thought it would be funny. <laughs> And I think I was right. Yeah, well played. Uh, All right. We've got a ton to talk about today with the Amstel Gold Race over the weekend. It was phenomenal. But then again, I might be biased. We've got Paris-Roubaix coming up. But before we dive into all of that, um, just a quick note from me, the editor of this podcast. Boss. I was super nervous. <laughs> I was super nervous last week about the conversation that we all had at the end of the episode. We had a conversation not like that, but uh, same topic of trans people in sports on the regular podcast. And the reactions were everything from death threats in my DMs to <laughs> just a lot of, yeah, people were really upset. To be fair, it was like during that, it, the regular podcast has a lot more oh, yeah. listeners. We here at Freewheeling have an incredible, incredible group of listeners. And I just wanted to thank each and every one of you who regularly listens to this podcast and comes back every week. And, you know, the four of us are friends first and podcasters with each other second. And I think that when we sit down and have a conversation, the way that we structure the episodes, I mean, there really isn't much structure. We just kind of roll with it and... um and it's like four buddies getting together to talk about bike racing. And we approached the conversation we had last week the exact same way. So we maybe didn't get some things right, but that's not the point of why we had that conversation. And so I just wanted to thank everybody for the incredibly kind messages that we got um, after the conversation we had, especially on Velo Club. And just a shout out to Hannah for her like incredible the incredible points that she made on the Velo Club Slack because I'm still impressed. So just want to thank everybody. We we did get some new listeners. Hopefully y'all fit the mold. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about bike racing. We got the Amstel Gold Race. It was awesome. I will once again try to recite the race from the top of my head. Okay, so <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> well there was some <laughs> there were some pretty exciting breakaways that went in the early stages of the race before we even had live coverage, we've been so spoiled with the live coverage for the Flanders classics races that when we only got like 33 K of Amso gold, it was pretty disappointing. Um, but you can't win them all. Right. So there was a really impressive break that went, yeah. Penultimate lap of the Cowberg that included Spratty, which was really exciting to see her up the road. I'm sure. We'll get into that. Paulina Rarkus, mm -hmm of Canyon Stram, who's new to the team and we've not seen a ton from her yet, but exciting to see her up the road and Arlena Sierra 
yet again on a stellar ride. The two, the three of them rode together until the Bemmelerberg, where SD Works really brought it back together. And then we had like a bunch of attacks on the Bemmelerberg with Neve Fisher Black throwing the first one, Marlon Russo with the second one. Uh, over the top of that, Victoria Guilman went on a solo mission and was brought back just at the base of the Kauberg where the predictable Annemiek van Vluten attack went. She was followed by six other riders. The seven of them came over the top of the climb together and then kind of all stalled and looked at each other. And that was when Marta Cavalli attacked solo, just impeccable timing from Marta Cavalli and rode solo to the finish. Behind her, we had Ashley Wampasio, Demi Vollering, Mar- Mavi Garcia, Annemiek van Vluten, Kashini Wadoma, and uh, Leanne Lippert, which was a great ride from from her as well. So that was the race, as far as I can remember it. And second place was Demi Vollering again for the second year in a row with Leanna Lippert taking third. It was like almost a photo finish between four people for the podium. Um, and yeah, yes. Where do we start? It wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't as pretty Round as my plan one, but I got it. That was still well, that was well done. <laughs> I can't uh, even remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, let alone that entire thing. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. I don't think you missed much. <laughs> no. I lo- it's so frustrating because I can't learn languages, but I can remember the lyrics every single Taylor Swift song, and I can recall races like at the drop of a hat. Mate, everyone's got their own. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, so the break be- that happened before the... Eurosport slash GCN coverage because there was coverage on Dutch TV, which mm. maybe shouldn't announce yeah. that I was watching with a VPN. Although I'm in Belgium, you know, it's next door. Um, was it was full of like all the favorites, like Annemiek was in there, Cassie was in there, I think Marlon Russo was in there, like, and that Anna Henderson, I think there was tons of people in it, and uh, yeah. I don't know, just just adding that in there, just showing off my VPN skills, I guess. That was a super impressive break. That was a break that, I mean, two years ago, that break would have been like race over because it was full of all of the favorites. Basically, everyone I mentioned in my preview was in that so break. So who, who chased it back then? Sorry, I missed that part of the... Uh, UAE. They chased Mainly. it back. UAE, but, but also, I think it was also a little bit of no cooperation okay. in the break yeah like, way too many strong riders in one move and all looking at each other kind of because at one point van dyke got frustrated and attacked the break mm-hmm. and they did the like chased her down and then everyone sat up <laughs> kind of thing that we've been seeing a lot well of poor anna henderson was in like multiple breaks and was getting like really pissed off with everybody like because no one was coming through like you could see it like gesturing and just visibly annoyed that no one was willing to keep it going. Yeah, yeah, it could have been a good she opportunity. A good yeah, for her to get a result. Mm, I think that's why the size of the group that came into the last ascent of the Kalberg was pretty big. So it goes. I was texting with someone in Australia, and we were just going back to that old conversation of just the the sheer depth of the field now, um, and the amount of numbers that we're having in these finales. Um, I don't know how far, do we want to start with the breaks or do we want to break down the, what happened in the last three, four kilometers? Because I saw a massive, I think we texted about it, 
missed opportunity. Um, I thought Moorman looked super comfortable on that climb. Um, and I, I was screaming at the television when they had that moment of hes- hesitation, which always seems to happen just as like people crest that climb and we've seen it time and time again. I was going, whack it, someone, whack it. And then just as Mormon looked the wrong direction, Cavalli was gone and it was just too late. I think this, is, this was such an interesting moment hands down for me, the most interesting moment of the entire race, because there was so many factors at play in in before and after that one attack that really helped Cavalli ride away to the finish. Like we had Anamiek Van Vluten going full gas on the climb and only six other people could keep up with her, which I think we we touched on it last week and we can talk about it again that she just can't ride away from people on these short climbs anymore. Uh, so we had that effort by Annemiek Van Vluten that once they got to the top, everybody was in the hurt locker, but still hanging on. And Cavalli was able to take that moment when they all sat up. I mean, they like fanned across the road, all of them. And she was able to read that moment and take advantage of it. But you're right, Lauren. The second that she attacked was she chose her moment perfectly, but there was an element of luck involved because right when she started going, Ashley was looking the wrong way. Then Demi hopped on her radio telling her to follow it. But I feel like that distracted Ashley more than it told her to follow it because then she didn't react fast enough. No one could react fast enough. And that's when Cavalli got a little bit of space. And then when they all kind of started to line up to chase her down, there was a moment when Ash was flicking her elbow and Anamique was sitting right behind her and Anamique wouldn't pull through. So for the entire 1.7 kilometers to the finish, the only person in the wind was Ashley. Like Nobody else was helping her pull because Vollering was in that group. They all knew that Vollering was going to probably sprint, sprint for the win. So... It was such an incredible like bike racing 101 moment where Cavalli just read the race so well and and it worked out. I mean, what should have happened is, again, Goma, I thought Ashley looked good. Maybe she was feeling it in her legs, but she looked great. She should have been the one who attacked in that moment of hesitation because then Demi would have just had a free ride like as other riders tried to to pull a you know try to pull her back or chase after essentially so it could have worked in that way and but yeah i don't know it was all in obviously for demi at that moment when they crested with two i think cavalli was in a better position in the group cuz she was last wheel so nobody saw it mm. coming and ash was like second wheel at that she point was looking the wrong way yeah when, yeah yeah she also she she started the climb way too far yeah. back. Like the watching her go up the climb, she really had to put in a huge effort to get up to that group. She said that in the interview after the race. Yeah. Cavalli said the hardest part of the entire race for her was actually the positioning into the final climb because it was so fast. I mean, it's like a down it's fast. It's a really fast downhill. It's like a down, yeah, a descent into the base of the Kalberg. And so she Cavalli said she she's like a little bit gets a little nervous in those like really really fast 
moments. And so the positioning was the hardest thing for her. And I found it super interesting that Yumbo Visma was the team that was driving it into the bottom of the climb, actually, with uh, Anna Henderson on the front and Corinne right behind her. But yeah, when when they hit the bottom of the climb, Ashley was just really poorly positioned. And so she had double efforts to even get up to that group with Van Vluten. But I think like it looked like everybody was pretty cracked when they hit the top of the climb after Van Vluten's effort. As you would be following that, but Kvalis found something a little extra. She saw an opportunity. I think we all saw the same mm-hmm. thing though in like uh, Ashley could have done something better and it just like trying to put your finger on what that was and I think there was just like you know the Swiss cheese model of failure like there's one thing that went wrong and then the next thing and then the next thing there was just a series of very small mistakes it all added up to that break not bringing back Cavalli of course Cavalli was on a ripper day like great timing for sure but to hold the power for another k and a half to the finish is impressive but I don't know, like I saw something similar to what you're trying to say, Lauren, too, of like Ashley looked really good up the climb regardless of her poor positioning at the start. Like as that they got to that steep part near the, the crest, she looked pretty good and, you know, Anamique looked awful even though she was probably probably feeling pretty good too. <laughs> but um, I feel like I can't not ever say that. I'm sorry, Anamique. Maybe yeah. it's like a whole big bluffing technique that she has that she always looks terrible so no one ever knows yeah. if she's feeling good. Just, uh, she looks like she's fighting her body. She looks like a marionette, you know, like puppets <laughs> on strings. Like yeah. that's that's what she we, always we reminds me of. We so much criticism. I think it was last year when I kept talking about her, her writing style. And I was like, is it the canyon? But why? It's objectively messy. Like, she'd probably admit the same, surely. Like, it, no one. Okay, but you look at her and then you look at, you look at Rihanna Marcus. Holy crap. Rihanna Marcus looks like an angel on a bike. She is like, her upper body is like rock solid. And she just like, she looks out, looks like she's putting out so much power. (laughs) And it's just so beautiful to watch her ride a bike. There was one point when, she was on the front. I think there was like a little break that went. Maybe it was after the Bemmelerberg or it might have been earlier in the race. And she was on the front and she just looked incredible. But I think like this is what I was wondering with Ashley is like, does she just look quite good on a bike even though she's going mm. not so good? Like she looked good up the climb to us, but maybe she was really suffering more than we thought. And then for me, I thought she could have chased harder. It looked like she wasn't going hundred percent and like just sacrificing her race right at the end there to just go, Oh gosh, like we made a mistake. We need to rectify this. It just didn't look like that's what she did. But on the other hand, it's like, well, maybe she was, it just didn't look like it. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but I, yeah. Like from what I was seeing, I was like, Ashley shouldn't have left the road wide open and been looking the other way. Like, you know, rule number one, stay on one side of the road and look the other way. <laughs> uh, and then the next thing, react immediately if you're not the lead, like the the, the protected rider. And then, yeah, next one, get on the front straight away and just go all in and just not expect anyone to come through with you. So I think just all those little things added up to that break, just, you know, that gap going so quickly and and not bringing it back. Yep, yep. Point out, I don't know if anyone else noticed, but at the 
after the finish, they showed like the two of them after- very briefly. Yeah. And Demi was saying to Ashley something like, I know you can do it or something. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like, like Ashley, I don't disagree with you guys. She, she also like, there was six people there and not a single one of them reacted, which was, I, I would have expected Leanna Lippert to react a little bit or Kasha, especially like given the way that those two race a bike. I feel like Ashley doesn't have the power on that on a flatter road like that to be able to chase down a move quickly enough. If it had been more road, then yeah, probably. But there just simply wasn't enough road and Ashley's too small to be able to not too small. That's not the right way to put it, but but too like her her strength is really on a climb and that road was flat and if it had been Chantel Vandenbroek Black or Marlon Russo then that would have come back you know immediately but she just doesn't have it's not in her skill set to be able to pull back within 1.7 kilometers something on a flat road I I, I don't know she gets pe- pigeonholed as a climber quite a lot but she is quite powerful still it was um, Wift World Champion. Yeah, Sports yeah. World Champion. And she's got a good kick too. I, is there any kind of, is there any element of like Demi should have maybe jumped on it herself instead of getting on the radio? Or do we think that like it, the onus was on Ashley completely? Uh, I think Demi jumping on the radio at that moment definitely wasn't a great call because it would have just, it would have been more of a distraction than like a help at least for me, like if I put myself in Ashley's shoes, um, Demi wasn't well positioned at all to follow the move. Like she was on the wrong side of the road and she had riders in between her and Cavalli. Um, like she couldn't have moved over and, and moved on it fast enough. Um, and also just to clarify, I'm not saying she's not, she doesn't have power. I'm just saying the road, there wasn't enough road for her power Mm. to be a factor. Um, but but I yeah I don't I think like a lot of the blame can be put on Ashley for not reacting fast enough and uh and looking to someone else to pull it back when she had a teammate in the group and nobody was gonna help her work to bring Gavali back but I think like there was multiple people who should have jumped on it Demi wasn't wasn't in the right spot if you look at the overhead. Mm-hmm. And at that point in the race as well, like there, there's no jumping on the radio. That's where it needs to be pure instinct to understand when you've just gone up a climb like the Kalberg, uh, way above, yeah, at your VO2 max probably, um, that sometimes there's not a lot of thinking. But in that moment, we have seen before, there is that point where people sit up because they take a breath and assess the situation, like, for example, Anamique wouldn't be expecting six riders probably on her wheel at that point. Um, the best thing they could have done is actually just gone straight to the front and kept the tempo high because probably eight times out of ten, Demi would win from a group like that. But I guess we can go over and over, over it again, but we don't know what if, what would have been going through her head in that moment. There's, like Gracie said, so many different things you could have done. And what Gracie has pointed out before, at the end of a really long, hard race, sometimes your brain is just not working and that instinct to to just go 
you think a little bit too longer, maybe half a second turns into a second. But yeah, full credit to Cavalli. Like as you've all said already, like timing perfect. She picked the right moment. I love that she had full winter kit on. Yeah. <laughs> she was so not dark. wearing an aero jersey. <laughs> and she was in her hoods. Like she didn't even get in her drops. <laughs> she had toe covers on and everything. <laughs> it didn't it wasn't like a very a very beautiful attack. <laughs> it was like very gangly. Uh, she said after the race, the reason she still had her leg warmers and like thermal on was because last year she got really cold and this year she was afraid of getting cold and she'd rather be warm. Aww. But it was it was pretty funny. <laughs> this is her biggest win to date, right? I think it's FDJ's Absolutely. biggest win. Yeah? Because yeah. Uh, well, actually, maybe we need to talk about the fact that the other leaders, <laughs> well, plural, because... Leaders, yeah. Um, because they've said they've come in with three, possibly four. Although we haven't seen Evita race yet. And it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they went there, which says a lot about the merits of having multiple leaders. No, some teams can can pull it off really well. I mean, SD Works can pull Trek. it off really well, and Trek can pull it off really well when they have, um, you know, clear leaders. I I feel like they are in this super weird position where they can win a lot of races with Balsamo and Van Dyke is riding super well, but they won't commit to either of them in a race where it's not a given that either of them will win. Like though, if that makes sense, they'll commit to Balsamo if it's clearly going to come down to a sprint. Um, but in a race like this, like they didn't really commit to anybody and, Sheeran was hands down the most impressive Trek rider of the day. Like she was in so many moves and, um, and I think just like spent too much energy or she maybe would have been able to hang on on that group. Cause she was in it for a really long time. And then she only got dropped maybe 300, 400 meters from the top or less. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some teams that can pull it off and there's some teams that struggle to do so. And I feel like, yeah, this is, it says a lot that Cavalli was able to take the biggest win for FDJ they've ever had and her biggest win when she was hands down the sole leader on the day. Say- Cecily was out with uh, with COVID for this race and Brody was also sick. Not Brody's not a leader, obviously, but... Well, she's an invaluable domestic for that team there as well. And yeah, you've shown yeah. that she could be. Grace has also got COVID, I think. So it is super interesting that, you know, just looking at, we kind of gave them a hard time at the beginning of the year and said that we'll see how this goes for them. And I think you can point to this race and you can point to Trofea Alfredo Binda and say- And Flanders. Trofea Alfredo. Yeah, but yeah, Flanders was, but I feel like Trofea Alfredo Binda more so because it's a little bit of a similar parkour, Mm. like a little bit in the hills and also there was like a moment in binda that i cannot let go of where cavalli had just attacked and was off the front with knee fisher black and i think it was um go and get that memory going rider (laughs) and then you could see behind there was a clear gap to the peloton and sile was attacking and it was like that super weird moment when cavalli like heard sile coming and like went over to the wrong the other side of the road super quickly 
and then Celia was off the front for a minute, but she got she got brought back. And there was that moment is like a moment that I can't let go of because it was just such a like what what are you guys doing <laughs> kind of moment. And this was not only was the director in the car when that move went and Marta was the only one in it. He was able to jump on the radio and say, Marta, this is your moment. Try, try. You've got nothing to lose, which Marta said was one of the main reasons when she, that she didn't like think at all. And she just attacked as soon as he told her to go. Yesterday, He's able to focus solely on her. And if it had been, if her and Sile had both been in that move, they wouldn't have ended this way. Well, this is what I was about to say before, like, is that with Binder and, and other instances where that's kind of happened is it's not, it, the blame doesn't lie entirely on the riders. Like it's, in fact, it's possibly more with the directors for not just kind of putting their eggs in one rider's basket, so to speak, and sort of, yeah, just delegating roles. For sure. I, I mean, that's why some teams are better at it than others. Because Trek and SC Works just simply have more experience when it comes to delegating roles and uh, coming up with a team plan. Uh, FDJ is a way newer team and especially super new to the spot that they're in, where they have multiple options to win a world to a race. That's a they're a tiny team that came from being a development team with only French riders and working their way slowly over the years into a world tour team that has multiple different nationalities on it. It's like a brand new spot for them to be in as of 2020. Like they've never had this kind of responsibility before. They've they've never been before 2019. You probably never would have looked at that team and been like, put them put them on a riders to watch list and so they're in this position and it's and it's a new spot for them but sd works has had six leaders in every race or six potential winner, winners in every race since freaking 2016 that's, i think that's one of the big differences like that the track t- the track riders and the sd works riders they have nothing to lose because they've already won big races they just want to win more big races whereas if you're in the shoes of cla and grace brown and mata cavalli they haven't won you know that many big races yet and so they're just saving that few percent for themselves when they're racing as a trio or as a a duo and that's what makes a huge difference and that's where you need that self-discipline as a director or you know, as a team in team meetings to be like, it's Sile's turn today, it's Grace's turn next weekend, we're just going to keep practicing until we get it right, until we all have nothing to lose. Because I think they're all holding back just a little bit and that's what loses you races, in my opinion. Kuali was definitely not holding back on Sunday. That was all That was all or nothing. I've been calling her for like two years. So <laughs> She gave good post-race interview too. That was really sweet. <laughs> this is this is why I like like her so much is because the post-race interview, like I interviewed her one time and I was like, she's one of my new favorites because <laughs> she just smiles the whole time and she's so Italian and it's just really endearing. <laughs> Someone that I wished I could have seen how they went if they got, if they were freshish 
I should say fresh loosely going into that last climb was Elena Sierra. I think she is still one of the most underrated riders in the peloton and I think she should also be a leader for Movie Star as well as Emma and Anamik. And she can almost be better in some ways. Like she won't be a mountain climber and a pure sprinter, but man, she has won pure sprints in the past and she can climb and she's got some pretty good power by the look of it. And I would have liked to have seen if she could have made it into that final group if she wasn't in the breakaway earlier. After crashing as well. Yeah. Yeah. With Emma and another teammate. Poor thing. There was like three of them that all crashed together. Ah, uh, yeah, this, this is my sneaky VPN viewing. She's got a slower start to the year, right? Emma Norsgaard. She said we can call her Emma I don't know. I, I can't think. She's got the the double name. Yeah, Emma Cecile. She's it's got, a da- yeah. it, let's not go into Danish names, right. shall we? Anyway. That's very complex. <laughs> um... Yeah, she's she's had a bit of a quieter start to 2022 compared to last year. She was on the podium almost every race, I think. She did have COVID earlier uh, in the spring. Yeah. Kind of ripped its way through the peloton. It is, yeah. She did also win Les I mean, I forget that. That was a while ago. At this yeah, point. I mean, like two months ago, yeah. <laughs> well, the spring's gone by like really quickly. We've got, what, two like. weeks left of this period, the the classics? Then we can all have a nice yeah. lie down for a minute, hey? Please. <laughs> for like a week, and then we have Idzulia and Burgos. Oh, uh, yes. But then it's like a two-week break before we have the British races. And you will have your hands and full, Abby. And, yeah, but I'm determined to keep podcasting. Good. Remember, the baby baby's always welcome uh, on the podcast. <laughs> there were a few moments yeah. with, with baby Harry. <laughs> yeah, he made yeah. an appearance a couple times. As far as Amso Gold, is there anything else we want to talk about? I mean, we talked a little bit about how strong a couple of the breakaways were at the beginning of the race. Uh, special shout out to Lizzie Holden, who had an incredible race for uh, Lacole Wahoo. She was not only was she in a move at one point in the later stages of the race, she also was one of the attackees in between the Bemelerberg and the Kalberg on the final lap, which was just awesome to see because I think we all know her. Uh, so we're biased because we think she's cool and she's had like quite a tumultuous career. She was on Bizkaia last year, not a great experience, I think. And now she's back on a British team on Nicole Wahoo. And it was really impressive to see her up there in when the race was on. She is someone else. I think that looks beautiful on her bike. Yes. uh, She also like when she was in between those the peloton and that group Wasn't and I breathing. was thinking like yeah she just looked like she was like clearly she was going really hard and I was like Liz mate put the power down a bit oh right you are you just look really good but I'm glad you did that bit because I I was straying every single week now I'm straying so far into this like incredibly biased territory so I saw it on the run <laughs> sheet and I was like she put it on the run sheet I don't have to say it no but yeah. um Shout out she- to Liz dog She's definitely a rider who has just uh, been slowly stepping it up, but this year is just taking it to another level. She's really getting to the pointy end of the race, which is really exciting, not only for her, but for the team. It shows what being in a good environment, like a, like a comfortable, like just a good envi- team environment can do. Like she's obviously around people that she knows, that she is friends with and, yeah. Professional, makes a big difference. getting the support. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think that team has done a lot of work that 
you know, for such a small team, they they were doing a lot of things that a lot of the big teams weren't doing. I think they've they've got a team psychologist. Um, they even uh, have a program where they focus, I think, on um, women's menstrual cycles as well. Something yeah. to do with that. While so. we're doing shout outs, Paulina Royakers get she should get one too. She's got to work on her Still. descending a bit. Yeah, but she's you know she's new to Canyon Sram, one of the many many new riders that they picked up. And I thought that Canyon Sram had a pretty good race with, I mean, it didn't end the way that they had been hoping. And I think Cash is still working her way back from COVID and having to take like 10 days off or whatever. Um, but between Polina in the break, uh, Soraya Paladin on the attack in, in the end of the race and uh, Elise Shabby setting up Kasha to be in a great position on the climb when they hit the Kalberg for the final time. I was, we give them a lot of crap for not really working well together, but they, it seemed like they did a better job this week. And then it just, Kasha didn't have the, the kick in the end. The, the sprint for the podium was interesting. Cause yeah, it was like four of them in like almost a photo finish. I mean, Lippert and, Volering were super close, and then Kasha and Anamik were kind of right there as well. And if you're watching it on the TV, it looked really, really close. And then in the photo finish, it wasn't as close, but it was still. I think Volering, Volering came from pretty far back. I don't think she positioned herself very well in the sprint, but she was just better, <laughs> luckily. Yeah, I feel like we, like, a- as a half Australian podcast, we have to shout out Spratty because she's. She had such a rough year last year and is still working her way back from the iliac artery endofibrosis. And she's not been the spratty of old that we know and love. But seeing her on the, the attack, I mean, not only is it was it one of the only times that we've seen bike exchange in the race, in a world tour race so far this year, it was also just great to see it was her. And that maybe she didn't have the legs in the final climb, but she still made the best of the race by going in a move. And then Alexandra Manley actually, I think, ended up finishing pretty well in the 12. chasing group behind behind the winning group. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I was really excited to see Spratty. Up yeah, there. I mean, Me too. you can't underestimate the recovery from from that surgery. I think that's that's something she knows, and she's so experienced that. I'm sure in the second half of the year, um, she has. She's already said publicly she has ambitions for uh, the Tour de France Femme Vec Zwift. Did I say it right? Yeah. And the world's in Wollongong. And it's also quite vulnerable to race how she's racing because it's easy when you're not feeling yourself and you're not as strong as you'd like to be to just, you know, take a back step in a backseat, I should say, in, in some of these big races and not, you know, go on the offensive and be in breakaways or try because you're, it makes you vulnerable. It makes you, people go, oh, what is she doing? Or like it might not look good on TV or it might not feel good because you're being judged from the peloton. So I think big ups to her because she wants some heavy races in her legs and she's going out and being proactive about it rather than just being, you know, just another number in the peloton. And I think that's actually a kind of a, a challenging thing mentally to do. So yeah, good on her. I think that's especially when you've 
one huge racism in the past. Mm. And you're, yeah. When you've been the writer, people are like looking over their shoulder at, and now, yeah. Well, hopefully, Tour de France femme of X Swift comes at the perfect time for her. She's got a few months still to build up for that. So, all right, should we talk about Perry Roubaix yes. really quick? Because it's it's very exciting. Perry Roubaix is coming. The second ever women's Perry Roubaix is on Saturday. Do not make the same mistake I made. It's on Saturday. The men's race is on Sunday. The women's <laughs> race is on Saturday. <laughs> it's great if you like want to watch two days of bike racing back to back. It's not great, you know, in terms of viewer numbers and stuff, because I don't think we mentioned the like numbers that, of people watching Flanders for the women was mm-hmm. massive. Um, on that topic, talking about viewers and um fans i did mention last week that like lotta kopecky has become a household name i did a ride yesterday with a bunch of um you know mammals actually uh mammal is a state of mind lauren as well as the descriptor (laughs) (laughs) thanks just to clarify (laughs) but um someone had mentioned that i was a formal pro which i actually hate because then they feel the need to ride like heroes when i just want a social ride but moving on from that that's my more behavior every guy um we were rolling turns at like two kilometers on the left two kilometers on the right and i was pretty impressed to see them do this sort of formation so i got to talk to a lot of different guys and it was all men except for one other women in a group of like say 25 or 30 and they all just wanted to talk about how great women's cycling was now and the fact that I had stopped too early because now we could actually watch women on TV and it was really exciting and they knew names of the riders, particularly all the Dutch riders being our neighbours. Um, and I just thought that was really cool. So, yeah. So in conclusion, Lauren's comeback. Don't. <laughs> well, my father-in-law did ask me that yesterday. He's like, so then will you come back? And I was like, I don't think I would make the cut. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's made such a huge difference yeah. to live coverage. It makes such a huge difference. Which actually, one thing we maybe then failed to mention, or 40K, or equal prize money at Amstel, mm. better spent on a bit more live coverage. Also, Dutch TV getting an extra like hour. What's that about? Don't know. Why? How? I, I, I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of like, you know, maybe the that lies with GCN and that, like not buying the rights for that extra bit, or I don't know. But I feel like GCN is pretty good about about if there's live coverage up for grabs, they will take all of it. In which case, this is what was a bit confusing: is like there there was that extra hour of coverage just only in Holland or in Belgium if you've got a VPN. I feel yeah that. When it comes to the the like whole rights of live coverage and stuff, that is, it's just yeah, so I don't understand confusing. it. I can't. Either way, performative. We've had this discussion a million times, but performative equal prize money, mm-hmm. not as mm-hmm. valuable as extra coverage. Anyway, speaking of coverage, how much do we get on Saturday before we dive into? I think we get, I think we get a good amount because the live coverage starts at one fifteen for Perry Bay Femme. 115 Central and European. Amy, where are you or, gonna be? Where am I gonna be? On the ground. Hell yeah. I'm gonna be there. On the ground for free. Everywhere, Everywhere mm-hmm. mate. I'm yeah. omnipresent. Yeah. 
Because I'm thinking, because it's on the Saturday and it's going to, the Sundays, you know, actually the Saturday will still be really good because people camp out for for these events. Like for Flanders, people started camping two weeks before just to get a spot. So, I mean, I'm not camping for the record. (laughs) Maybe I'll try to get out to it. I'll see. Yeah, do it. Good news. I'm pretty sure that we will get to see all sectors in coverage. All sectors. I'm pretty Big sure. I'm pretty sure that the broadcast will start approximately 30, 34k into the race, and that's before the first sector. Well, that's much better than last year. The the race this year, just th- really quick on the um, course for the race. It's eight kilometers longer, but it's only because they do one more circuit of the start town of Denain. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. Uh, So they do 124 kilometers. The first cobble sector comes after about 43 kilometers-ish. Check cyclingtips.com. What a great website for a more extensive preview later this week. But this is just what I could scrounge up in 10 minutes before we started recording. Um, There's roughly 30 kilometers of cobbles, including two five-star sections of cobbles that are the Mons and Pavel at 49 kilometers to go and the Carrefour de de Labre (laughs) with 17 kilometers to go. Um, So the course is exactly the same as last year, but with an extra circuit around the start town and is probably why we... Um, yeah, they, they don't have to show that part. We, we don't have to see those circuits. The racing is really going to kick off on that first cobble sector. That was where Lizzie went solo last year and then rode all the way to the finish by herself. Looking back on it, maybe not the most exciting race, although the fight to chase her down and behind was pretty exciting to watch. But if, if you like listen to past episodes, it's hypocritical to say like a lot <laughs> full race attack wasn't exciting. <laughs> It was like really exciting to watch because we've been critical of that in the past. Um, but that was the first ever Perry Roubaix. And we're going into the second ever Perry Roubaix where it's going to be the same course and the riders actually have an idea of what to expect. The weather might be good. Like there might not be any rain, which will make a huge difference on the cobbles. So it's it's very exciting. I'm very excited. Looking at the time schedule, actually, I think that's that's true. Like the, if it starts at like say the coverage starts at one thirty, because I just realised that it says like live show or whatever on GCN. So, um, it would come on like just after they pass through Dinan again. So, as the race like actually starts, so that's like three hours of coverage. So, wow. Yeah. Also, look out for me. Jokes on. Very exciting. That's basically start to finish coverage. That's like start of the excitement to finish. What am I doing on the ground? Then I might as well go home and watch it. Uh, Streaming on your phone, I guess, as well. Probably, yeah. Also, the sun, guys. I know I'm in Belgium right now, and that's in France. But you brought you brought the sun. I think. Well, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm starting to think that maybe it does follow me because every time I come to Belgium, it's sunny. You can just stay here then. Which I'm just feeling like I've been told lies about the weather here. Lauren, you stop being dramatic. It's always sunny in Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going I'm to bring, bring the rain to Spain then. Lauren has that. left the chat. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, so I went over the course a little bit. Should we talk like a little bit about the favourites? And then we can 
call it a day. Wait. Who who are the, who are the favorites? Can't look past. Kapeki has openly said that this is this is another race that she wants to win this year. Um, Van Dyke is eyeing this one off too. If Mariana Voss is actually like, because she's been a bit, she sat out mm-hmm. Amstel Gold just to focus on Perry Roubaix. Which is what she said, but then it's like she has been a bit iffy lately. She's been ill in that, so it's hard to say. We we just talked about this, but I feel like SC Works is going in with with multiple options because Chantal Vandenbroek Black mm-hmm. looked really good at Flanders. It's a type of race that suits her very well, but also yep. Marlon Rusa is just like yep. flying right now. And the difference between Marlon Rusa and Van Dyke, because they're so similar, is that no offense to Van Dyke, I love her as a human, but her hand, her bike handling is really not on par with Rusa based on how she descended at uh, at Trofeo Alfredo Binda. Like she's she's incredible at hand, handling a bike. It's really impressive for someone who just started racing two years ago, three years ago. So I feel like Rusa is is my pick for the win, especially after all the work she's done for the team this year. I mean, I think they'll have uh, Kopecky as a very, very good option, but maybe Rusa will get a little bit of freedom to try to go for it. But I I feel like I would love to say that Van Dyke is is a favorite, but she just simply is not great at positioning or handling. And it's such a technical race especially with the Carrefour de, de Labra at 17 kilometers to go. Like that, that's a really hard sector of cobbles. And if you can't get over that in the first, like first or in the front, you're really, there's not a lot of room to rectify the situation before the velodrome. I don't, I don't know. know. I wouldn't say Van Dyke isn't a good bike handler though. She said before the race last year that she was she did a recon and she like cried. She hated it. Yeah, but maybe just more nervous on this sort of. Track. Yeah, I don't know. I, she crashes a lot. Yeah, I feel like Abby's got a bit of inside information. Yeah, <laughs> someone here. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that, but you know. Come to, th- I think my view of Van Dyke is so clouded by her amazing strength that I forget that maybe she's not as competent in other areas. And I think you are right, actually. I think she gets, I think the nerves get the better of her sometimes, to be fair. And that translates into poor positioning or poor bike handling. So I think overall she's quite good. She likes to hang out at the back a bit. Mm. So I have noticed that. She definitely hangs at the back too much and she's incredibly strong so she can pull herself to the front. But we have seen her get caught out in those key moments because she has been too far back, which, yeah, I think you're spot on with that. I was going to say that I used to do that too, but not through choice. (laughs) I mean, there's not many riders who can sit at the back and then just put on the turbo and get back to the front and then still be in the race, if that makes sense. She also, she attacks at at poor moments in the race she's so strong but but for example flanders she attacked with like 60k to go what is that yes that's that's a waste of energy i was puzzled by that one yeah (laughs) yeah so i feel like it's really hard to look past sd Mm. works for this race i would put money on 
I, I'm going to put money on Chantal Vanderbroek Black as one of the favorites from my picks. Yeah. And um, give me a moment. I'll keep thinking about it. I agree with Lauren, actually. For some reason, I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks and I think Chantal is high on the list for favorites mm-hmm. other than Lotta. She's itching to ride for herself. Like people forget Chantal has won a lot of the big, big races. Like she's ticked those boxes. Including the world. Yeah, she yeah. Won. She's won Flanders. Oh, she's won Gent Welverham. Is that right as well? Um, she's won Drenta. She's won Amstel Gold. She's, she's won, won, yeah, she's yeah. ticked. She's won Strata. She's So she, yeah, okay, I'm going with her. <laughs> and she's in real, I think she's in career best form at the moment. Apart from SD Works, I feel like Trek is in a rough spot. They've got obviously Balsamo, but not sure how she'll. I mean, in theory, it's a flat course. Um, so we'll see how she can handle in the in the race. They're bringing back Elisa Longaborghini, who's been super sick. So she was obviously third last year, um, but on a on much different form. So it'll be interesting to see what Trek does because. Is Shirin on the start line? I would assume that she would be. She's not on a provisional start list. I'm looking at, but but I think Hosking Hosking is on the start line, right? For Movistar, I feel like Arlena Sierra is like a good shout to be to be a factor in the race because she's like Gracie said, she's so underrated, but she's also just incredibly strong. And for a race like this positioning is super important and she's she's got that sprinter in- instinct so she's good at positioning so i feel like she's and they won't have on in the race i'm like 98 percent sure she's not going to do this race again <laughs> after last year um so if so they have the opportunity to kind of focus on on arlana sierra and on emma depending on like how they feel in the day uh yeah yumbo visma's got Voss, but they also have uh, Rihanna Marcus, who's just riding incredibly well right now. And I feel like it could be a huge asset to Voss. Amy's making a face. Amy, what's your face? Oh, I was just looking at a provisional start list and I was about to chuck in some underdogs. Well, I went straight to Valcar, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we've got Sylvia Persico, cross rider, very strong. Mm-hmm. And Chiara Consone. Mm-hmm. So... What about from Canyon? Do we have, I know, I think Sarah Roy is targeting this race, but. Who's targeting the race? Sarah Roy. She, okay. I would love to see Sarah up there. I, there's not a ton of um, backing to like. She's numbers. There's not enough. Yeah. She's had a quiet start to the year, but you can tell that she's, you know, in pretty good shape. Um, maybe just hasn't had much luck or been in certain roles. So I'd be interested to see how she can go if she got a green light in a race like this because she's more than capable of being at the pointy end. Yeah, she's just got incredible power. Like when you look at this race, if she if she's positioned well and she believes in herself, then she can do something pretty special here. Bastianelli is also rocking up. She was fifth last year. She's had a rip at starts yeah. the season. And what are FDJ gonna do? Is the question. Who can say? That's I I wonder if Grace will be back. She wanted to be, but uh that will be the question. I guess she'll be out of quarantine by then. 
I mean, she has the power. This is the thing about this race is we don't have years and years to look back and be like, this is how the race was won. We only have one year and it was not like a throwaway year, but it was just such a, it's a race that just cannot be replicated Mm -hmm. because of the weather for for the first edition and also the first edition. So there's nothing to point back and be like, okay, so this is the type of rider we're looking at. These riders have done well in the past. We we're like, Almost going Uh into it blind for the Uh second year in a row, if that makes sense, which makes it even more exciting because we could have just named a ton of riders that are not going to factor at all. (laughs) That's what you have to watch and find out. Gracie, you're commentating again, right? Yeah, I'll be commentating on SBS in Australia. Yay. Everyone, yes. So use your VPNs to pretend you're in Australia. But also we don't condone the use of VPNs (laughs) officially. Just so we don't get in trouble. No, people don't. There's like no one, no one who would get. But you no never know. This podcast. But to be to be fair, she is the the best commentator <laughs> right now. <Thanks>. So. <laughs> That's until Abby and I start up. It was nice. I enjoyed it. I got three hours of Gracie in my ears the other weekend. All right, so Perry Bay coming up on Saturday. Check cyclingtips.com for a preview. And also, Brabant's Appeal on Wednesday, a nice little midweek seasoner. Uh, that was the race last year that Ruth Winder won in a like photo finish. Where Demi Vollerin learned not to celebrate early. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that one, that one also has live coverage, so make sure to check that out in the midweek. And and that's it from us. Thank you so much to for listening to the freewheeling podcast if uh, if you're riding on Zwift right now hope you've had an awesome almost one hour ride with us today and uh, that we kept you entertained for your entire tour of the Macquarie Islands They're my fa- it's my favorite it's my favorite world <laughs> thank you so much and we'll be back next week mm-hmm.